Hey, podcast listeners, on this episode, we have the Secretary of HUD, Marsha Fudge. Secretary Fudge talked about a lot of things in this 15 minutes. She talked about what motivates her. She talked about what makes HBCU grads special, how she lettered in six sports in high school, the value of fraternities and sororities. She gave advice for college students, and she even talked about parenting and how to set expectations. You're going to really love this. And after you listen, make sure you let us know how it was. Today, we have a very, very, very special guest, the Secretary of HUD, Marsha Fudge. Secretary Fudge, you've been a congressperson. Now you're Secretary of HUD. You're a lawyer. You've served as the mayor of Louisville Heights, plus a lot more. With all that you've accomplished, what's your why and what keeps you motivated? Well, first off, thanks for having me, Todd. It's, it's good to see you. Uh, I think those are two very different questions. What motivates me is just where I came from. You know, I think we are all the sum of our experiences. And, and growing up in an environment like I did with a house full of people, uh, everybody trying to make a way, everybody trying to succeed. My goal just as a kid was just to do well, was to make my family proud of who I was. And so um, that's the why. I think that um, one of the things that we oftentimes don't realize is that there are always going to be opportunities. We just need to be prepared. And so preparation was, I think, more of what got me here as opposed to just a desire. You have to be prepared because opportunities will come. You just have to be ready for them when they do. And, you know, as, as kids, and you know this yourself, we were just always taught that if you worked hard, you'd succeed. And so you work hard. You know, you do the hard work. You do the, the hard things. You discipline yourself and you take risks. And I'm pretty much a risk taker. That makes sense. Now, your team is great. Uh, Addie and Megan, both of them were were really good when we were interacting. And both of them happened to be HBCU grads. Yes, they did. (laughs) What traits do you see in HBCU grads that you've worked with and make them special? Is it a chip on the shoulder? Is it a sense of self? Is it intelligence? Speak to that a little bit. I think it's all of those things, but most importantly, it's a sense of family. You know, when you go to an HBCU, which I did not have the opportunity to go to, but, you know, I've been involved in sororities and I've been around a lot. There is a sense of family, a sense of belonging, and there's also a sense of community. So I think that people who come out of HBCUs tend to be more concerned about the people that have been left behind, about the neighborhoods they came out of, about their family and friends who may be having difficulty. There is a real sense of caring and community. I kind of equate it uh, tied to the fact that I'm very driven by my faith. That's that's one of the things that I, I have a very, very strong faith. And I think that HBCU people do, too, whether they call it faith or not. They have a desire to make the world a better place. And so there's something special about that. I agree. Now, I'm going to take it back a little bit further. I want to dig a little bit deeper here in, in team building, because team seems like it's so important and you have a good team and I can see why you're succeeding thus far in your position. So you lettered in how many sports in high school? Was it six or seven? Six. 
<laughs> Run down the six the six sports. So we got basketball, we got volleyball, right. we got right. goalie on the field hockey team, we got right. fishing. Yep. Softball. Softball. Track and field. Ah. Wow. Okay. So do you look for that was then? <laughs> do you look for former athletes when you're assembling a team because athletes inherently have discipline the things that you're talking about a good work ethic they're team oriented and can take constructive criticism well i won't i won't deny that i like having athletes on my team because what it does is it makes you competitive but it also makes you understand that it's all about a team you know when you are on any kind of sports team it is a team and it is just something that is a very natural thing for you to think about. You don't even have to go out of your way to think about it. So I do like athletes, but I just also like people who have grown up in an environment that makes them feel like a team is important. But I think most importantly, Todd, about a team is it starts at the top. I, I, I won't ever deny that I can be a really tough person to work for. But I can also say to you that I do not believe that there is one person on my team that does not believe that I care about them, who they are, what happens in their families, how I can help. Yes, I believe that every single person, especially young people, Todd, I think I have an obligation to help them be better so that when they leave me, and they will, that they will be able to move up and not just out. Mm, makes sense. Now, when I reached out to you, you responded. And I've noticed that high achievers have good response times. Is that something you've noticed with some of the high achievers you've interacted with? You know, I guess I have, and I never really gave it much thought, but it's just easier for me to, if I see something, deal with it than to have to try to remember to come back and do it three or four days later. But the other thing I think, Todd, is that um, I think the higher your position becomes, the easier it is to just be nice to people. You know, I, I think that sometimes we forget how we came up through the ranks and we always were looking for that somebody that was going to be nice to us to take us under their wing. And so when I have those opportunities, I do. And the other thing that I think is that when you don't respond timely, I believe that is a very rude thing, because what it says to someone is that I am so much more important than you, that I do not have time to respond. And I just think that that's not right. Makes sense. Being that you were the past national president of Delta Sigma Theta, in your opinion, why are there so many high achieving members that are high achieving people that are members of fraternities and sororities? Is it the selection process? Is it the association with the members once you get in? Or is it what's learned while being part of the organization? It's a number of things. Certainly, it is the requirements to get in. I mean, you have to have attained a certain amount of success to even become a member of a sorority or fraternity. Secondly, the network uh, is something that helps a great deal because let's say that I have a, a job in this agency. My network happens to be a lot of deltas. And so I'm going to reach out to those people first. So it's just like everybody else does. You know, you grow up in a family with that's very, very wealthy. They associate with people who are wealthy too. I grew up in a sorority. I associate with sorority people, fraternity people. I think so the network is important, but I also believe that when you have examples of people like I did, when I first came into the sorority, I served on a board with Barbara Jordan. When I first came into the sorority, I served with Patricia Harris, the last black woman to have this seat.
Uh, so when you look at what you see, and if you really have a desire to do well, the examples that are set are something that you cannot find anyplace else. You know, I think that all of us, not just black people, but especially black people, are visual learners. If we see it, we believe we can do it. So when you see someone succeed, you believe you can succeed. I agree. I agree. What advice would you give to a smart, driven college student about to enter the real world? And what advice should they ignore? The first thing I would say is do not um, stress yourself out if you can't find exactly what you want to do. I must have changed jobs early on every couple of years because I continued to learn from each one. It wasn't because I was flighty or didn't know what I was doing. It was an experience. And so I think every experience you grow from and you learn from. But I would say um, the first thing I'd say is be prepared. If you if you want a, if you want to be a lawyer, go right on to law school. If you if you want to come out and do something in um let's say you want to be a professor, whatever it is that you've decided you want to be, start to take the steps to be that. Don't wait and let life come to you. Sometimes you have to go to life and make decisions. Not always easy ones, but you do. Uh, but I'd say the other thing is don't pressure yourself all the time. You know, Todd, when I was young, and, and, I, and I say this to all my friends and people think it's so strange, I really was a party girl. You know, I believe that you work hard and you play hard. I believe you have to find balance in life. But probably the most important thing that I would say is find something that brings you joy. Find something that you enjoy doing. It may not be what your profession is, but find that one thing that makes you want to get up in the morning every day and just hold on to whatever that is. Uh, maybe it's music. Maybe it's athletics. It could be any number of things, but find something in your life that brings you joy. And the last thing I would say is no matter what happens, if you have come through a system, whether it be an HBC or other, and you have a degree, if you really have done well, then we are what the boys would call the talented 10. We have an obligation to give back. So no matter what you do, find some way to give something to someone who is less fortunate than you. Who's the first person that planted the seed in you that you can be anyone that you want to be? Really, my grandmother. Mm. You know, my grandmother literally cleaned people's houses and raised people's children until the day she died. But on Sunday morning, my grandmother would get up and go to church and she was a deaconess of the church. She'd go out in her ensembles and everybody thought she was so wonderful. She's very, very smart. Um, she was a community leader. She did all of that with so very little. And she and my mother and all of my family basically always made me believe that if I wanted something bad enough and I was willing to work for it, I could be what I wanted to be. Now, from and a parent... Makes sense. Now, from a parent's perspective, how did they create an environment in which they could give you enough where you felt like you could be who you wanted to be, but not so much where you felt like you could just be yours? Like, how did how was that environment? Was it telling you, was it going heavy positive? And then when you came home with not a good grade, disciplining you, give me a, a framework in which parents can kind of raise the next secretary of her? 
I think that a lot of it is about expectations. You know, if you have low expectations of your children, they will meet them. If you have high expectations, most children will meet them as well. I mean, I was scared to death to bring home a bad grade. I mean, that was not something we did because the expectation was that I was not going to do that. I'll tell you, I, I received my first C and I, and I remember it so well. I was in fourth grade. I cried all the way home because I just knew. I literally, I cried all the way home. But what it turned out was that my mother basically said, did you do your best? I never, there was no more discussion of it. I didn't get another C for a long time. But I think that um, you create an environment in which people encourage you, you know that they love you, you know that their expectations are high and that they expect the best. But it was always a combination, Todd. It was always a balance. It was always, yes, this is what we expect here. Discipline was strong in my household. You know, if I didn't go to church, that was it for the week, you know, those kinds of things. But there was always that other side that you knew that they cared enough to make you work harder, that they cared enough to discipline you. And you never you never really resented it because, right. you know, when you did something wrong, you did something wrong. Right. Just how we were raised. Right. Makes sense. Can you speak to what HUD is doing with homelessness and broadband? Well, broadband, you know, is one of the biggest issues that we have in this country, especially when you live in communities around the ones that we lived in. I live in Warrensville Heights, which is a all black city. I live there by choice. It is where I choose to live my life with people that I care a lot about. But when they said for us to learn virtually, to keep our kids home, Todd, I would probably venture a guess that more than 20% of the black children between the city of Cleveland and the inner ring suburbs did not have access to either broadband or high-speed internet. And so we lost a year's education for so many children across this country. We communicate now through basically broadband and internet. That is the way the world works, the world, not just us, the world. And so I think that we have to have that connectivity to make sure that we are still a part of this society and growing and moving with it as we should. And, and the president is determined that we are going to make sure that every single household in this country has broadband or high-speed internet. As it relates to the homeless problem, Todd, it's just the fact that there is such a great demand for such little supply. And so most people will just continue to raise the price of the houses they sell because they can. Uh, and we lock a whole portion of the country into low income housing. And there's not enough of that affordable housing. It's not enough of that. And so what happens is those on the very low end get pushed out. And that's why on any given day in this country, more than 580,000 people sleep on the streets or not knowing where they're going to sleep. Mm, unreal. Secretary Fudge, I'm always about bringing the most value to our audience. And we have a pretty large audience and it goes from people that are aspiring to go to college to people that are 80 years old and been going to homecomings for the last 60 years. What's some last words that you would like to leave with them about what you're doing and how important HBCUs are to this country? See, last words would be that um, I'm very proud of who I am. I'm very proud of what 
I know that I can do to help people who need help. Um, I just want people to know that there is a place for every single person to do something special. I have been blessed to be where I am. I have um, been blessed to grow up the way that I did, to work the way that I have, but it doesn't stop with me. I've been the first person to do an awful lot of things, Todd. But my goal is to not be the last one, to bring those along who need that help. That's what I would say. Secretary Fudge, you're so accomplished. I'm so happy for you. I'm so proud of you. But most importantly, out of all your firsts and everything that you've accomplished, I know that you're a good person and I appreciate that the most. I really thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Great. We're good. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Before you leave, if you're on Spotify, click follow and subscribe. If you're on Apple Podcasts, click follow and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Catch you on the next episode.